This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Approach to Brief Resolved Unexplained Events, or BRU, by Jonathan Freed and Dr. Beth Harper. Learning Objectives By the end of this video, the learner will be able to define brief resolved unexplained events, or BRUs, recognize the clinical presentation, diagnose and risk stratify a patient, and understand the principles of management. Introduction as a healthcare provider working in clinic or in the emergency department, you'll be confronted with many anxious caregivers who will ask you, is my infant okay? You'll be called upon to evaluate their baby, and over time, you'll develop the clinical acumen necessary to determine which patients are at higher risk of having underlying disease and which patients are at lower risk and can be reassured. One diagnosis that will test that clinical acumen in pediatrics is a brew, or brief resolved unexplained event. Let's begin with a clinical scenario. It is 11 p.m. in the emergency department, and you are called to evaluate a three-month-old girl for a chief complaint of apnea and cyanosis. You rush to the room, where you find two very anxious-looking parents, and a happy, cooing, healthy-appearing infant, pink, and breathing comfortably. Seeing your confused look, her parents immediately launch into an explanation. Without warning, their daughter, the otherwise healthy product of an uncomplicated, spontaneous vaginal birth at 38 weeks gestational age, suddenly stopped breathing while breastfeeding and turned blue. After 30 seconds, she resumed breathing. This has never happened before. Terrified by their blue baby, her parents rushed to the emergency room. Does this infant require admission for observation and workup of her apnea, or reassurance that her parents can care for her at home? After performing a thorough history and physical exam to characterize the event, assess the risk of reoccurrence, and determine the presence of an underlying disorder, you've not identified any probable cause for this infant's brief apneic episode. You should therefore ask yourself, was this a brew? Definition. An episode is defined as a brew if, and only if, all of the following are true. First, it's brief, lasting under one minute in an infant whose life has been pretty brief, less than one year old. Second, it has resolved, and the patient is back at their baseline. Third, it's unexplained, with no other symptoms, signs, or explanation derived from the history and physical. Fourth, the event is a change in either color, central cyanosis or pallor, breathing, such as apnea, tone, hyper or hypotonia, or mental status. If any of these criteria are not met, then this is not a brew and you must investigate and manage accordingly. For example, if the symptoms lasted longer than one minute or are ongoing, then it is not a brew. If you observe abnormal vital signs 
or additional signs on physical exam, such as respiratory distress, cyanosis, or abnormal movements, that's not a brew. Or, if the episode is characterized by choking or gagging with emesis, then it is not a brew. How common are brews? The term brew is new and replaced a previous category of apparent life-threatening events in 2016. It is a relatively common complaint among young, otherwise healthy babies, occurring in up to 1% of all infants. Diagnosis. Apnea and cyanosis, along with a change in tone or mental status, may represent a wide range of underlying problems. Therefore, the history and physical are of critical importance. Let's now talk about what to include in the history and physical for a child who presents with a brew. In general, you should characterize the event and the events that preceded it, including where the infant was and what they were doing, whether they were feeding or had recently fed, and what position they were in. It is important to note who witnessed the event, how long it lasted, and whether an intervention such as CPR was required to make the event resolve. You should also thoroughly review past medical, social, developmental, environmental, and family histories. There are several do not miss diagnoses that you must consider, which include cardiopulmonary disease, abuse, and serious infections. You should also ask about symptoms usually associated with more common conditions that can present as bruise, which include gastroesophageal reflux, respiratory infections, and seizures. Let's go over a few of these one by one. To evaluate for cardiac disease, you might ask about failure to thrive, feeding or respiratory problems, or family history of sudden unexplained death. And you should listen for murmurs or irregular heart rate. To evaluate for infections, you should obtain a full immunization history and ask about recent fevers, sick contacts, or rashes. Vital sign abnormalities and your physical exam can clue you into this as well. To evaluate for seizure, you should ask about rhythmic or abnormal eye or limb movements and inquire about family history of seizure in any first or second degree relatives. To evaluate for reflux or aspiration, you should ask about feeding habits, including whether the infant is breast or bottle fed, how much and how often they drink, and any difficulties with coughing, gagging, choking, or emesis during or after feeds. You may suspect this if a story is inconsistent with the clinical picture in front of you. On exam, you should look for multiple injuries, bruises, a torn frenulum, or a bulging fontanelle. To evaluate for abuse, you should ask about similar events in siblings, the presence of mental illness or drugs in the home. If any of these red flags are present, you should consider if there has been previous child protective services or law enforcement involvement. Let's say you've finished a thorough history and physical, and you've found nothing out of the ordinary. You're ready to diagnose a brew but you're not done. Next, you must risk stratify your patient. How do we know if an infant who has experienced a brew is at lower risk for a recurrent event or for having an underlying disease? Lower risk brews are defined by five features. First, 
the patient's age is greater than 60 days. Second, the patient's gestational age was at least 32 weeks and post-conceptional age is at least 45 weeks. Third, this was the patient's first and only brew. Fourth, the duration was under one minute. Fifth, no CPR by a trained medical provider was required. And, of course, you found no concerning features on history and physical exam, which would rule out the diagnosis of brew in the first place. On the other hand, a brew is considered higher risk if a patient does not meet all of the above criteria. There are no current guidelines for how to manage high-risk brews. You should use the evidence that you have at hand to construct a broad differential diagnosis and manage these patients accordingly. Management. If your patient meets these five criteria, then they are at a lower risk of a subsequent event or serious underlying disorder. You should reassure these parents. But that's not all. The American Academy of Pediatrics provides helpful guidelines on what to do next with lower-risk brew patients. You should provide caregivers with education about brews and CPR training resources, and come to a shared decision with caregivers about a potential safe discharge home. While there is no known association between lower-risk brews and sudden infant death syndrome, or SIDS, you may take this opportunity to educate caregivers about routine measures like safe sleep to prevent SIDS. You don't need to admit these patients for observation, nor do you need to order any further tests or prescribe any treatments. However, you may briefly monitor patients for one to four hours with serial exams and pulse oximetry to ensure ongoing stability and to continue the search for an alternative diagnosis to brew, such as by observing a breath-holding episode or reflux. The AAP allows the option of obtaining an EKG or pertussis testing based on your clinical suspicion and immunization trends in your area, although the evidence for these interventions is weak at best. Summary. When confronted with a healthy appearing infant with a history of a change in color, tone, breathing, or mental status, you can diagnose a brew if and only if the episode lasted under one minute and resolved, and has no better explanation provided by a thorough history and physical. If there's anything that clues you into a possible underlying diagnosis, then it is not a brew, and you should work it up accordingly. You should then risk stratify the patient, and can determine that a patient is at lower risk for having underlying disease or recurrent episodes, if this was their first and only event, if they are greater than 60 days old, if they were born at gestational age at least 32 weeks, and if no CPR was provided by a trained medical provider. These patients require no further workup and are at no increased risk for SIDS, and caregivers can be reassured that it is safe to return home with their precious infant. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.